Welcome to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a movie from conception to production all the way to release and reception. Uh, Chris, you get to introduce this one. This is your choice. I'm going to make you own it, too. You better. You have to. And I uh, fully submit. Um, I chose, I was really searching for a film that was uh, newly released to now. streaming. But there's not a much, not much out there because uh, almost everything's theatrical only. Uh, though I did just finally go to the theaters for the first time. Wait, what'd and you I, see? I saw West Side Story. Uh, mm. That was my my first movie did back you go in yesterday? the theaters. Yeah, uh, Sunday night. Sunday night. Yeah, was, so did I. We watched yeah. it at the same time. Oh my gosh! Um, but uh, before that, I was trying to find something streaming only uh to continue with our theme i think we'll finally get into some theatrical releases soon um as we wind up season five but this is a movie called we need to do something uh it was not on my radar until i really dug deep released on hulu through ifc midnight uh, which is ifc's uh horror brand i i guess right yeah uh, they, i mean yeah yeah like they're schlock horror right they, schlock yeah, horror, like indie horror indie, low budget indie, indie yeah horror. <laughs> and uh they they made a little bit of a splash this summer when uh the drive-in numbers were pretty much the only thing that hollywood was counting oh, yeah, and um had a couple titles that i of which i've already forgotten the names but they they <laughs> somehow uh, kind of cornered the market there but now that you know it seems like theatrical exposition is coming back uh, at least in a small way at first uh, yeah. they are kind of out of the conversation again and back to kind of just fill in the streamers with um, their low budget fare like this but I was excited to find out about it because I always love uh, movies that are uh, one setting um, kind of act more like a play than a true cinematic experience, but it is also very much a kind of gory mess of a film too. So I'm curious, Dan, did you hear, have you heard anything about this movie in terms of like marketing promotional? Like what did you know, if anything going into watching this little thing is someone who follows the horror genre, not super closely, but closely enough, uh, had heard nothing about this. Right? Like the only way it would come up is like Ozzy Osbourne did the voice of one of the sort of characters in this. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's probably where it got some press. But I was, as I was going through it, it got a surprisingly a, a lot of press. Like this was not, um, and I don't mean like, oh, uh, it was all over. It was in Deadline. It was in like IndieWire, like these announcements. I mean, when you have an announcement in Deadline that a movie's picked up, that's a pretty big deal. Like, that's like a trade magazine, essentially, at this point. And if, like, the announcement of your film getting acquired is in there, that's, you know, that's nothing to to scoff at. Um, but in terms of just, like, general, like, horror nerd fan vibe, didn't really hear anything about it, unlike the horror subreddit. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of came to this, you know, completely without a lot of background or context. And uh, that's probably, I think, probably for the best. Like, this is a movie that... You don't want to know a lot going in. True. Um, and it, yeah, you just, you kind of, it's one of those films where you just want to buckle up because if you don't, it'll be a tough ride. Because uh, yeah. it is very, very indie, not just in the sense that it's shot on a single location, 
Uh, but I, th- I would say like the sentiment of it is sort of, you know, I don't know. It, it, it has a very gonzo type feel. Uh, you kind of have to be up for that, right? Um, right. Yeah, exactly. You got to be like, you got to be on board. Like this is definitely, this is the perfect AMC midnight movie. Because it's like, it is meant for a group of people who are just up for something strange. Uh, strange and exciting and weird at like midnight. Uh, it's that group of people that would get the most out of this movie. But I had heard nothing about it whatsoever. Um, which is a little bit odd because I thought like, it, I don't know, it, it seemed like the cast had, I guess there's some, I mean, Vanessa Shaw, does she count as like sort of well-known? I don't know. There's people She's probably who probably as well known as it gets. Yeah, and like Pat Healy yeah. is a recognizable face, I think. But mm-hmm. other than that, you are definitely focusing more on just the shock factor of of the story, as well as maybe, like I said, that single location kind of yeah. hook. Um, I mean, I remember it reminded me of going back to when I was a teenager and seeing Richard Linklater's tape for the first time, oh, or. Yeah. David Cronenberg's Bug. Um, there's lots oh of God. movies like that where it's like they get you get that thrill out of at least in those cases seeing big names kind of stripped down to just the core setting of yeah. a single location. But when you add the unknown cast to this and then add the horror element to it, um, I mean that's what got me excited about it. So what what the heck is this movie about? Read the logline for us, Dan. Yeah, after Melissa and her family seek shelter from a storm, which is assumed to be a tornado, uh, they become trapped. With no sign of rescue, Melissa comes to realize that she and her girlfriend Amy might have done something to might have something to do with the horrors that threaten her family. Um, yeah, I mean, you don't really want to know more than that. No, right? There's no there's no tagline. Well, let's come up with a tagline. <laughs> Um, I mean, what, what, what would you sort of get people hooked in, you know, uh, trapped alone with your family, dot, 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 you know, something like that. Like, (laughs) that's essentially the vibe that they're going for. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this movie and like, even just looking at sort of some of the stuff that was kind of released in interviews from the producers and creators. Well, first of all, why don't you talk about who made this thing? Right, right, right. Who so, did this? Because it's kind it's, of a little bit unknowns, right? Right. So like like in front of the camera, it's a similar kind of newbie vibe behind the camera. Uh, Sean King O'Grady is the director and Max Booth the third is the writer. It's also based on uh, a novella of the same name um, by the screenwriter, yeah. Max Booth the third. Um, he had a successful, relatively successful novel, Touch the Night, in 2020. Um, and that also had kind of like a gothic horror vibe to it. And this got picked up by O'Grady, who was formerly more of a producer. He produced it, actually, yeah. one of my favorite movies of 2019 called The Assistant. And so it's, it's clear that he knows how to do that minimal vibe and also like kind of appeal to really like thoughtful horror nerds. It's not necessarily, it's not elevated. I wouldn't use that no, word. Definitely not elevated. I like the word gonzo that you use though, where it's like you to appreciate anything that's going on here. You definitely <laughs> have to be willing to kind of give yourself over to the other side, so to speak. So yeah. there's, I mean, there's like, there's an outsider vibe here is I guess what I'm saying. And there was definitely an outsider vibe to the assistant, um, obviously to other uh, kind of low key, um, both 
super dramatic and super uh, suspenseful um, indie films. So I think that uh, probably the the most fascinating kind of con- like modern day connection that was just happenstance, and we've seen this a couple times. We've uh, talked about it regarding new films in the podcast is that because it's about a family stuck together in a single location, it very much brings, you know, to, to mind a lot of, you know, parallels with the COVID-19 pandemic and how so many people found themselves literally stuck at home with their families and kind of the nightmare scenario that that, uh, is for unfortunately so many people, um, even if you love your family, even if you don't have a dysfunctional household, there was still some element of that that I think resonates when seeing that kind of uh, manifest on screen in a horrific gonzo way, like in this film. Uh, O'Grady, in fact, said it in an interview with Bloody Disgusting um, that without it directly addressing the nightmare we're currently living through, Max created a hellish allegory that still manages to capture the collective trauma we're all experiencing. And for whatever you're going to say about this movie, and I'm curious to get into thoughts, opinions, and reactions from you, Dan. Um, <laughs> I think that they're, I think that they're onto something, even if it was accidental, even if it was unintentional, because the 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 novella and the script were written and completed before the pandemic yeah. happened. There's this this feels more on the nose than almost anything else that I can think of. Yeah. I mean, it's super on the nose. Like it's not, it's, it's a basically, it feels like a movie that, um, where it starts with this sort of hook and premise, uh, that is interesting without a doubt. Like the setup is essentially they're in this bathroom together. It's not a big bathroom either. It's pretty small. Mm-hmm. They're hiding from some sort of tornado storm outside. Essentially, uh, they get stuck inside the door. I mean, let's not even start with that whole thing, but whatever. <laughs> the door is stuck and they can't get it open. Uh, I'm willing to go that far without a doubt. Uh, the 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 interesting thing is that, like, okay, that's a cool premise. Uh, that's a great writing prompt. But then it's like, where do you go from there? Mm-hmm. And this movie is interesting because it, I, the thing that I probably struggled with the most was that like it never felt like they knew where it was going. You right. know, it almost felt like, um, kind of um, ex- like almost from explosion to explosion, but like ex- replaced explosion with plot device. Right, it's just like from boom, boom, boom. There's no real link here besides just free association, almost, uh, of what's happening to the family and the horrors that they go through. It, it, it definitely Gonzo is a term you could use, but it's a, also a little bit absurdist and random. And the line between Gonzo and absurdist and random, and you know, ironic parody is all pretty slight, and so. I think that's one of the things where it's, you know, the big question I would have in thinking about, okay, it's a novella. It was written, you know, before the pandemic. There's a source material here that exists. And there's a, a quote here about them sort of, I think one of the producers basically, I immediately sent it to Sean, the director. Uh, this is the one because it resonated so much. He read it an hour later and we were off to the races. I really want to know <laughs> what was in that script. And I'm not saying that to be disparaging, um at all uh, because you know it's 
doing uh, the one thing I don't want to do in sort of talking about this movie because it's a small movie. It was made by people who are outsiders or not inside the studio system. I don't want to be a dick about it and be like, hey, this movie sucked. But there are things about it that absolutely did not work at all on any level. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, it interests me as to how it got made with like this sort of fervor around the script. Because like when you saw, when you know, when you watch this thing, would you say the script is strong or tight? Leave yeah. it out there for you. It's a softball for you, buddy. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a softball. I, no, I think there, it, 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 it's that classic Simpsons line, right? There, there were script problems from day one. That said, <laughs> the concept and the premise, uh, and some of the choices in terms of like horror effects, uh, I think maybe were so strong, in my opinion, that there is no real reason to let the the script weigh it down which is unfortunate ooh, because there's ooh, that's a that's a bold statement <laughs> yeah I, I i i didn't i did not like this movie but i think that there are so many fascinating pieces of it that it's hard for me to dismiss it there's no real reason like you i mean i feel like at this point we should probably say spoilers from here on yeah. out um it is uh, streaming for free on Hulu. I think it's worth it. I think it's 90 minutes that you're going to be like, "What? why? But also you're going to be like, hmm. So it's not going to bore you and it's not going to make you uh, regret it, I don't think. That's just me. Dan might yeah. say different. Uh, yeah. But I do think that um, this, this concept of marrying the, the two cons, the isolation at, of the setting and the family and then the fear that goes along with that and the unknown of what's outside the door, it almost feels like a refreshing, um, like, uh, acting exercise rather almost as if it was like improv done live in front of you (laughs) rather than something that was properly, you know, planned and thought out ahead of time, which is just, uh, I don't know, for me, it felt a little freeing, that I could just marvel at the ridiculousness that was happening in front of me. And I had to, at some point say, okay, let it go. There's, they're going to not be able to open the door and we're going to just accept that for the purpose of what they're trying to do here, which is keep this family in this room for 10, 90 minutes and make us for whatever reason, still, uh, you know, scoot, feel squeamish at whatever happens to their bodies <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think that's a that's a fair point there's definitely an element to this that feel it does kind of it feels like an indie film in the sense that there is a freeness to it mm-hmm. and the way they're acting the way they're doing things yeah you can see the uh rough edges right because it's not like obviously a big budget movie i couldn't find the budget could you find any budget information i couldn't find any absolutely not for. I, what would you guess? I would guess like eh, maybe like a couple million, maybe under. Really? I, w- I was going to say under a mil. Yeah. It seems like very, it's, just, it's a micro budget film. This is yes, like yes. A, a, bl- a Blumhouse, but maybe even smaller, essentially micro budget film. So you have to kind of put it in the context of that. Um, yeah. I mean, there is an element. I think the thing that like really got to me is, um, and there's a great quote. Uh, where is it here? Um, and it's from Booth who wrote the, 
uh, the novella and obviously the screenplay here. Um, and he also produced it as well. Uh, he says, uh, the family already hates each other, so it's interesting to see how they deal with being trapped in one small room together. Nothing like that, that's one of the things that like really hit me immediately. And this is, you know, 100% a criticism of the writing, uh, and definitely the acting as well. And maybe the actors don't have a choice because it's what on what's on the page, but it was like this movie went from um, essentially like there's no zero, right? Mm-hmm. It goes from it goes from like sixty to like you know a hundred miles an hour immediately. There's no buildup. It's like they hate each other from the start. There's no real dynamic sort of tension going on. It's just like the tension is very brutish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like not subtle at all. And like right. right from the start, it's like, yeah, they do all hate each other and they continue to hate each other and it gets worse until it, you know, becomes essentially a horror, a true horror movie. And I think that was the thing that I struggled with the most because in an isolated, isolated situation like that, um, I'm thinking like even like think of like alternatives, like 12 angry men where people are just like stuck in a room they you know they have they have to do something right, something right. has to change and there's n- there's an evolution there like people do alter or like, like even like night of the living dead they're stuck in the house and how those people react to that calamity and that stress and it breaks some of them and some of them rise to the occasion um whereas here in uh we need to do something it, it just kind of feels like we're already at the end of the story when it begins Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you're sort of like and that i think was a little bit tough for me because especially the father character which is pat, what's oh, name, pat Thiele. yeah i mean very stereotypical uh basically you're i mean you could just say alcoholic worker who beats his family essentially I, I mean i'm assuming he beats his family he seems like the type of person who would uh angry all the time um mean condescending doesn't know to show any sort of positive emotion whatsoever um, you know, he starts out that way and just gets to the point where think of the most uh, radical version of that is, and that's where it ends up. Um, I don't know. Did you like? Did that bother you at all? That it didn't seem. It felt like everything was set in stone from the start. Yeah, like these are. I'm once again, maybe I'm giving the movie too much of the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> but. I feel like there is some deliberate choice here to make, especially the father character, if not all of the family characters flat from the get go that they're, it's not really about any kind of true emotional journey or any kind of transformation or redemption arc. Like that's, that's not what this movie's trying to do. It's trying to like show the horrors of a dysfunctional family and then what happens to them is actually, I would argue, uh, very in-your-face, obvious, but in like an absurdist way, exactly what you would think would happen to these kinds of people. You've got yeah. the not only abusive father that literally becomes uh, like abusive to the point of you know literally whipping. Um, his family members uh, as the film wraps up, but then also having these uh, kind of sheltered and fearful female characters, both the mom and the daughter in these kinds of roles where they lash out 
Um, but it's too little too late. That almost struck more of a chord with me than the father character, because at the very least you had some kind of, um, like I was, I I was convinced from the get go that the father was a villain and it was going to be broad strokes, no grayness, but with the daughter and mother character that almost frustrated me more because you got this kind of suggestion that, um, uh, you know, we should empathize because the daughter has a history with, uh, you know, mental health issues. The the mm-hmm. wife is playing the, and mother is playing like the, you know, abused uh, mother victim, but is also like cheating. I don't know. There was just like, there were so many little pieces of the family dynamic that could have been filled out, but they were uh, issued in favor of this kind of um, just very extreme reactive and body horror display kind of uh explosion in the film's both second and third acts where like yeah. it, i'll it once again it, it was both frustrating as well as freeing because it was like this is not something i've seen done before i don't think that it was done well but at least it was not done in the way that would have been even worse which is i think that you know there would have been some kind of transformational arc or some kind of, you know, magical way of them getting out at the end. Like you would see in a schlocky, like Netflix horror movie, like bird, yeah. Bo- bird box or something, you know? Well, I wasn't one of the producers, the guy who wrote bird box. I was right. Right. Yeah. So there's some, you know, vague relation to that. Well, that, I mean, that's a real, actually a very good point, right? Um, what does this movie, this game script look like? if it's not just 20 people in a room in Michigan making it right. Like <laughs> yeah. what does it look like if it's Netflix and it got like a $30 million budget or, or there's almost like three tiers to this because this is micro budget. Blumhouse would be kind of low budget. They usually cap out at $4 million for a movie like this or 5 million probably now. Uh, and then you have Netflix who would have thrown 20, 30, 40 million dollars at something like this. How would that change? Do you think, that what you have here the core could translate to something uh, i would argue that it can't because i think the the only way that this is functional as a film is in the micro level where it is a little bit free association it is sort of honestly batshit crazy this movie's nuts it it is it is absolutely nuts and like that's the part of me here's the thing about me is like if i was younger you know, and I was like, oh, I, I probably like this a lot more mm-hmm. because I'd just be like, well, this doesn't give a this doesn't give a fuck about rules. Uh, this doesn't care about like scripts or <laughs> like making sense. Like it's just sort of like a vibe piece. It's like a Zoomer movie. They're all about vibes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's I mean, it definitely feels that way. Like it feels just sort of like free association poetry on some level. Right. And that there does a... work on some level, I think. Yeah, there, there's like an essentialism to it that mm-hmm. is undeniable, even if it, it doesn't leave you with any kind of uh, inspirational feeling. It at least leaves you with with something, with a feeling, which is more than can be said for a lot of uh, overly workshopped movies nowadays, especially yeah. like in those bigger streamers like Netflix. There's one quote from Max Booth in uh, this profile of him in the San Antonio Current that stood out to me, especially with our conversation about like 
the sometimes effectiveness and sometimes just like you're shooting yourselves in the foot right away by having a one location movie. Um, he mentions that he's a big fan of the lighthouse. Uh, yeah. He said that that was an inspiration of, for him when he was writing the novella, that kind of madness that those character experience characters experience was what he was trying to achieve. And one thing that I think worked really well for the lighthouse, which I don't think translates here unfortunately is that you have not only the absurdism uh which gave way to like the memification of that movie but also like that uh kind of otherworldly quality of it taking place uh in a setting and having characters yeah it felt very unreal whereas here there's this you know at least slight attempt to make it like the average you know american dream family but it's like an american nightmare family right and if they had just done some more of that like table setting i feel like that you could have wound up with something a lot more effective here because the because when it goes off the rails it really goes and that's when it's time to like be punk rock with your storytelling and you know uh practical effects but if you don't have the right lead up to it then it's unfortunately all for naught and i think robert eggers knows how to do that lead up like he not only did it with the lighthouse he maybe arguably did even more effectively with the witch um before it goes batshit um and i just yeah i wish that i'm glad that i'm seeing that kind of filmmaking being inspirational to you know new generation uh, like Max Booth and Sean, Sean King O'Grady, but it's just, it's not quite landing, right? Well, I hated The Lighthouse, so I don't know if that's a good Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I don't know if that's a good, no, it's a perfect, that's the thing, like, I would say about this, if you like The Lighthouse, you're going to absolutely get something out of this movie. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, you're going to get something out of it. Because it, it does have that similar, it's a snow globe world, right? right. It's created this little bubble of reality um, that is poetic. It's a poetic reality. It, the associations within the, the confines of the film only work within that film world. They don't really connect. You, know, you said, yeah, he he adds these elements that are supposed to con- you know, connect to suburbia and the American dream. Ugh, they're they're like flimsy. Um, like ultimately, he's he wants to, he's taking these paradigms of characters and saying, hey, we're going to start here. Let's kind of fuck them up. Let's just like scramble them up, put them in a blender and see what happens. Uh, so that's, I mean, to me, that's the fun part is like he, the, the writers, director, like they don't really, they're not going for some sort of statement, right? No. I would say no. that that's not the intention here. Um, and that, that can work really well. Like um, it, I always find that that's a difficult, that's a difficult stance to take though, as a filmmaker or creator, like I'm not trying to, have a statement or I'm not trying to be political or whatever um, because it's like some of the better filmmakers, especially in the horror genre who say that are full of it. Um, I, I look George Romero, Toby Hooper, um, Wes Craven. They would all tell you that, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street's not political. It is. Uh, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not political. It's absolutely political. Uh, and Romero was the worst at this. He would be like, you know, I didn't, you know, choose to have an African-American as the lead in Nightmare on uh, Night of Living Dead. Dead. Come yeah. on, dude. Like, so I think, you know, there's um, there's always an undercurrent in the best horror filmmaking that is, you know, it's really good filmmaking, but they're saying something pretty profound. Uh, and I think with this movie, 
I think it's sort of the limitation of not going for it on some level. I would say that this movie goes for it in the fact that like, yeah, it, it goes, it takes its own path. It is experimental. Um, but at the end of the day, what are they saying? <laughs> are, they, are they basically saying that um, these are the stereotypes that exist of the American family as we understand them? And this is how these stereotypes would play out. Maybe. I, maybe that's what they're saying. And if that's true, then that's, that's kind of interesting. I just didn't see it there, though. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I it's there's so much of the, you know, shock value that it almost disassociates from any perhaps, you know, traditional commentary, which I think maybe is also part of the point, right? That like you were saying, it's more of a vibe than a message movie, <laughs> yeah, even on an accidental level. Stuff, man. <laughs> right. Or so think... it's, it's a new genre. <laughs> so I think that there was like, there's this element of, uh, I mean, even says it right. Uh, O'Grady, um, in that interview with Bloody Disgusting, he says the challenges of during a f- during filming during a pandemic were re- met with rigorous protocols by a small, tight knit cast and crew who dedicated a month of their lives to create the bubble that enabled the film to be complete completed safely without any artistic compromise. And that I think is telling in comparison to maybe some of the other pandemic films we've uh, talked about on the show, like Ride the Eagle, um, where there's like yeah. they try. There's this distinct attempt to you know make the limitations a part of the artistic vision but then for a film like this one it's almost ironic because like if anything that's this is the kind of movie where you should have been like grab holding on to that like trying to take advantage of that but instead they've got this idea in their head and they're just trying to bring it to fruition also with a micro budget and so it just doesn't whatever it was that they were trying to do doesn't come through loud and clear other than yeah. like they want to, they want to surprise you. Um, they want, yeah. they and, want and, a nightmare out in front, in front of you. And so that becomes what the movie is. Yeah. It's, it's almost like kind of fitting that the name of the movie is we need to do something. because It, <laughs> it feels like the filmmakers are just saying like, let's, let's do something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, I mean, there's the, you, you have to admit that the COVID-19 pandemic factor is at play here. And they even admitted yes. it. Yes. Like they weren't busy doing other things because the industry essentially shut down. So this script comes along. It's like, hey, we can do this on a soundstage that we have. Um, and, and let's just go for Let's do something. Let's make something together. I mean, the Ride the Eagles happened the exact same way where they're just sort of like, I don't know. We got to do something. Like, I got to make money. I want to stay busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, a project like this comes along. So, it, you know, not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Like, constraints on, you know, uh, on producing art is, is not terrible. Uh, sometimes that creates uh, masterpieces. Right. Um, I think in this case, and I think the one thing that I I need to remember uh, is that one, I'm not a filmmaker, so like I don't necessarily understand the nuances of making a film like this. And whereas I try to relate smaller films and indie films to how I would relate to music, because I understand music a lot more, how to produce it, how to make it how to record, editing, mastering, all that kind of stuff. I have a a much better understanding of the means of production. So I'm a little bit more um, forgiving of interesting 
music that may not sort of feel fully fleshed out. And this this movie feels that way to me. It feels like a really interesting EP where you're sort of like, yeah, that was that was cool. I'll put it on my, you know, my list yeah. to re-listen to at the end of the year. I'm excited to see what they're going to do next. And that's very true of these guys. Yes. Like I want to be like when the next one that comes out, I'll be like, huh, I will definitely check it out because like they don't make boring stuff. Right. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it's raw enough and kind of disassembled enough where you're sort of like, well, this isn't this is never going to be on the marquee. You know, it's just not it's not that type of film. Um, and you always kind of wonder, too, and I, I would love to get your thoughts on this. What do you think their intentions were? with a movie like this. You know, I think I think it evolved and they're not particularly it seems like maybe there's a conflict of interest at play. Um mm-hmm. there's a quote from O'Grady uh at Deadline where he says it amazes me that anyone would be willing to distribute the, this hilariously sick film we concocted to exercise our own personal pandemic de- demons, but blah 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 PR talk. But like yeah. that idea that you know, it was this story that somehow came from Max Booth III. Uh, he was also like a hotel manager at the time. And so he was like getting in, inspired not only by the lighthouse, apparently, but perhaps also like seeing the effects of like, you know, families being trapped in single rooms together. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is interesting. But then to have it kind of morph as the pandemic comes and they start seeing some of those parallels. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, I, I think your, 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 uh, extended metaphor with the music things right <laughs> on, because it feels like something where like you get a, a group of people in a room and nobody quite knows what they're doing, but they are, we know, all we know is that like, we're all feel pretty messed up inside because of what's going on in the world. And so yeah. we're going to take that out through our art and, one of the you know great schisms in movie making unlike music is that you've got this finished story beforehand right and it's up to the director to decide how much of that is going to actually make it through to the final edit true yeah and and so there's there is some like lost in translation there maybe it's more kind of like you know the band uh writing the songs for the ep and then getting in the studio and the producers like trying to figure out what to do with everything there's not like yeah there's there's something that's not quite connecting um all the way through to the finish line there is that tension there isn't there yeah like where there it's almost as if yeah like the script and the director are not in the same page in the the exact same way a kind of pushy producer or even better is like an editor uh with like a a story or short story writer or novelist yes, editor yes. comes in and really i always think of the raymond carver example where he had an editor that basically changed his entire style made him famous yeah um but changed yeah. in his entire style and flow of writing just by editing and i think that could have been the case here um maybe with the director or maybe the editor or producers came in and be like well this doesn't work like let's let's turn this up or that up also we have to consider that um you know a movie like this maybe they were playing for an ifc midnight thing or maybe they were playing for the south by southwest film festival because that means then you're going to up the shock value significantly so that your movie is buzzed about and talked about and you get clicks 
Mm-hmm. Like there, I think you, we have to admit that there might have been one of the angles um, to get this movie some buzz. And it's sort of like, I wouldn't, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the problem with that is if you don't see the film in that social environment, like where I watched it, you know, you know, uh, essentially during the day um, alone on a computer, you know, is does that have the same environment as seeing a midnight showing at South by Southwest? Absolutely right. not. Right. No. It's completely different and plays totally different. Uh, and that's maybe where it's falling short is that the intention just doesn't translate outside of the festival circuit or maybe even the horror festival circuit, uh, which is obviously a little more niche. But I think it would I think this movie plays super well with horror nerds and fans. Absolutely. Like they're mm-hmm. gonna get something out of it without a doubt. It's just that it's not going to connect to a much larger audience at all. And then we can kind of see that on um, what some of the critics were saying. Like, how did this do critically? Yeah, we well, probably the one reason that I ended up choosing uh, this film is because one of my favorite critics, Brian Tallarico of RogerEber.com, gave it a pretty glowing review. Three stars out of four, which is still a lot for a horror movie. And he says that it's a predictable genre, but O'Grady and Booth often manage to turn left when you expect this movie to go right, which I think is ultimately probably where we agreed dan right that like at the very least this movie's doing something right by trying to break the rules just maybe they broke some of the wrong rules maybe they forgot about others uh mark savlov of the austin chronicle also gave it a pretty positive review calling it a tightly knit script questionable questionable. (laughs) gives the audience a masterclass in claustrophobic horror movie minimalism preferring to focus on the four cornered family members as fear and uncertainty hobble their rational wits that was one point that i was uh meaning to make earlier that like in once again this is maybe something that could have been set up more from the get-go uh in the film but like the 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 main story that I see here is not only one of like the family unit breaking down uh, or, you know, claustrophobia and pandemic related things affecting the, the family unit, but also that idea of like losing one's sanity. Like that's yeah. something that's tried and true for the horror genre. And I think that with some more like nuts and bolts working out um, that could have come through a lot better in the final product. Um Megan Navarro of Bloody Disgusting uh, gave it a split review, called it innovatively crafted and providing a grab bag of horror, but its parts are greater than its whole. I think that's ultimately where I come down to. Gross out gags, bloodletting, and a thrilling level of unpredictability. Not quite enough to make a movie great, but at least makes it interesting. And last but not least, some a uh, couple of negative reviews. Uh, Claudia Pug of Film Week said it has a couple moments of gross out scares and a couple of maybe laughs, but otherwise a wasted effort. And Jessica Kang of Variety says, when late in the film, a phone's never going to give you up ringtone sounds out. It's hard to escape the suspicion we've been rickrolled, which is one little detail I thought was actually kind of clever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's it was fun. I mean, that part was fun. Um, I mean, you look at the overall scores, like what? 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. There's only 55 reviews. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, not glowing. Uh, Metacritic of 48. Mm, pretty bad uh, audience review hardly anybody saw this um, but it's got 39% which is not good 
uh, in a letterbox right now. So letterbox is where I thought it would might gain up some ground because that tends to be a place where people are into kind of stranger things. But uh, kind of at 54 uh, out of 100, so kind of in that bad range. Um, IMDb is 45. Metacritic audience score only three ratings. I'm not going to say it. Uh, <laughs> Google rating of a 55%. Um, so I think, yeah, it's definitely, I would at the very least, a divisive film. Uh, what about these, like, the letterbox ones? These are the ones I love. I selected all these. Oh, yeah. Um, Tell me a couple of your favorites. Uh, the first one's fantastic. Uh, the thing that needs to be done is writing a better movie. Which, you know, hey, uh, kind of mean and snippy, but not untrue. <laughs> you know, like, he, the thing is, if you go to a movie, this is the hard part. This is the hard thing I always fall back on. It's a 90-minute feature. Like, that's a long time to get somebody. And it's a self-contained narrative right like those are some pretty strict that's all you've already punk rocks out the door already you already have a frame of time and narrative that has to sort of be completed so it's like you can only be so experimental within those confines and sort of do well i would say i think that's where this movie kind of falls off a bit is that it doesn't really and you're gonna hate me for saying this it doesn't respect the rules it just doesn't. And like, Puritan. Yeah, I am a Puritan when it comes to start. Like, it give me something. Like, give me a character that goes through a transition. Um, you know, you got you know someone die. It's there's just nothing. Give me any arc whatsoever, even if it's an arc where somebody, uh, you know, uh, is nice then becomes mean. That's what I was looking for. What I was no, looking yeah. for here was a movie where they, they get into the room and they, there's this pretend nicety. Because that would have been perfectly parallel to the pandemic. Remember at the start when everybody was like super nice to each other? Right. Like, right. Oh, Baking man, bread like, and yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, this is, we're going to get through this together. Like, look at how beautiful. I'm stealing comedy routines from everybody, by the way. Uh, <laughs> of, you know, look at how beautiful the empty streets are and the dolphins are coming back. And all that sort of stuff. And then it's like six months. You no, know, Delta hits this summer. And people are like, I'm not wearing a mask. I don't care about anybody anymore. Like, that's what I wanted to see was that sort of yeah. cycling, that sort of death spiral that the pandemic put a lot of people in mentally, at least. Um, we don't see that here. It, they're basically, if this is the story of a plane crash, the movie would open them 100 feet off the ground in a tailspin. And the planes, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I, okay, to, for <laughs> argument's sake, I would say that that's something we've seen over and over again. And what the movie, I think, is attempting to do, which while it doesn't totally work, is at least something fresh, is like, what if you already hated your family and then you went into lockdown? <laughs> which is like, it's, and, and that fits more with the vibe of what the movie's trying to do, which is that it's like, you, you're you're stuck no matter what and there's going to be like there's nowhere that's like you're you you think that you're starting at the bottom but then you the floor opens up beneath you and i think that's a funny concept and i think also a relatable one for an unfortunate amount of people but you're right it doesn't respect the rules so it's it's not it's not for it's not for everyone it's not for the faint of heart uh, uh, come a couple of the letterbox ones that are uh, like it can't be that hard to break down a door. I mean, fact. <laughs> well, he does say it's made out of solid oak, so I mean, I give him solid oak. There. 
Solid oak. Um, I wish the lightning would hit them all. Was one of them. <laughs> Uh, okay, here's a, good, uh, a very unusual film with an intriguing premise. We need to do something is a claustrophobic, intense experience. The characters start angry, and they get angrier as the story progresses. Mm-hmm. It's a film where you're never quite sure you know all you need to know. And I liked it when, uh, I like it when movies keep you guessing like that. Great ending. I mean, that's, you know, that's, I think, the a good positive read on this that's pretty common about the people who liked it. It mm-hmm. keeps you guessing. It's totally bizarre. It goes all over the place. Um, it is claustrophobic. It does build tension. And it does get released in some pretty wacko stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, how would you... I mean, in all seriousness, where would you put this film to the other films you've seen this year? Oh, it's... I mean, you it's... You see a lot, right? Uh, yeah. I've. I mean, I've... I don't know. It... it it's hard when you really want to. I don't know if you feel this inclination, but I always feel this inclination to grade horror movies on a curve, right? Especially because they <laughs> get so so little respect respect, anyways. Uh, yeah. Especially in year end lists and awards season and all that. Oh. Um, but I put this like solidly in the middle of what a of most of what I've seen this what year. What about uh, Paranormal Activity: Next of Kin, which we did this season, episode three? Uh, season See, five, folks. I'm so gonna, re- I'm gonna remember this movie way more than I remembered that one. That's probably true. I don't know. If that makes it better. <laughs> You're still <laughs> gonna remember it more. <laughs> we should also note, rem- remind the audience, perhaps, that uh, you and I are on very different wavelengths when it comes to perhaps the best horror movie of the year, *Malignant*. So oh, I don't. Why, do we, why are you bringing that up? Man? Here's an interesting. Here's my because okay, you another. Let's dive into it. Another horror. I'm putting horror in quote marks now since you can't see me. Uh, yeah. Film of the year that was another one of my favorites that I also think you didn't like is Saint Maud. I did and, not like it. No. And I feel like this movie fits like a weird space in between those two films. Okay. Where, it's I got mean, the absurdism of Malignant, but has like some of the artfulness of St. Maud. Yeah, it's certainly more arty than Malignant, which is a disgrace. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, but I think that, yeah, that, that's actually an important point, I would say, is um, there is a type of filmmaking where it is... I, Malignant's ironic, though, right? I don't know how ironic this movie is. Like, like purposefully ironic? Yeah, Malignant is definitely James Wan sort of being like, uh, whatever, man. Like, I want to see the craziest movie I can. $40 yeah. million. Dollars. The movie costs $40 million. <laughs> I'm going to take this $40 million and burn it and put Every... it on fire and, and make a really. It's almost like I, I feel like. <sighs> why are we talking about Malignant? Uh, he made it for the memes, right? It's a meme movie. Yeah. For, and this is not. Like it's not That's a meme true. movie. That's like this true. is there's a there's a level of authenticity and seriousness and professionalism in this movie that McLuhan has none of. <laughs> Absolutely none. But there, but the thing that they have in common is that just like joy in the uh, absurdity of horror as like a mechanism or a delivery vehicle for body horror, right? That there okay. is. There is that element of playfulness in it, right there in the like the whole Rickroll phone call thing, like yeah. it's and Ozzy Osbourne stunt casting as a demonic dog. Like there's 
there's there's fun to be had, but then there's also like time to be serious. So I, that's why I think it kind of fits that weird space. So I did just put it into my ongoing ranking of list of the year, um, just for context. And I have ranked We Need to Do Something a solid number 16 out of 35 movies I've seen this year. Okay. All right. 2021 high. releases. So yeah, it's maybe a little bit above halfway. Not as good. Where's where, as, where's the Fear Street trilogy? I was just going to say that. Yes, it's not as good as the Fear Street movies. Please. Um, yeah, let's not even. But I'm I so defensive of those movies. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's, uh, I think, still better than Army of the Dead. Better than... Uh, better than Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It? That was that's what I was just about to say. Conjuring Devil Made Me Do It better than Paranormal Activity Seven or whatever it was. Better than yeah. Halloween Kills. I would even say better than A Quiet Place Part Two. Wow, God, you're brutal to these. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we come from very different perspectives when it comes to like the Conjuring Devil Made Me Do It. Loved it. Uh, I think the one we agree on is Halloween Kills. It's just so bad. So bad. That's the worst horror movie of the year. Oh, just so cynical and awful. And where this one, I think the the silver lining of this movie is that it it, it feels like a debut. It's raw. It's kind of crazy. It is interesting. Um, it, it's a calling card. That's what this movie is. It's essentially, mm-hmm. hey, this is what we can do. Give us a lot more money and we'll make you uh, a huge horror hit, essentially, is what it comes down to. And I could see these guys sort of working together Oh yeah, uh, in the future, on for like a, a bigger streaming service, you know, it's not really streaming. I mean, technically, IFC bought it and then put it on streaming. Um, yeah, I can see them working for Netflix or Shutter should just hire these guys now. Shutter should just keep them yeah. wherever they're at, Los Angeles or like somewhere, probably like Oklahoma, uh, and just keep them in a studio and have them make stuff and just release it, and then it would be perfect for Shutter. It's like the Shutter movie. That's true. That's true. Uh, and I and I'm behind on my Shutter films. I heard there's some good ones out this year. There's some good. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a great. If you like horror movies, you gotta be you gotta be subscribing to Shutter. It is 100 percent worth it. Plus, uh, Joe Bob's Christmas special is coming up next week. It's gonna be fun. Uh, okay, cool. Any final thoughts on we need to do something? I think uh, I think it's worth worth seeing, even though you will not feel great during or after it. It's it's something it's something all right and that's that's more than i can ask for when it comes to the majority of movies released nowadays how about you dan yeah i would say uh, my major sort of caveat is see this movie one you are you consider yourself a, a horror fan a horror nerd if you will uh and then two you have to have seen him like the lighthouse unless you fit those <laughs> two filters like it's an excel spreadsheet uh don't see <laughs> see it if you want it's a fun gonzo movie like you're not gonna go wrong you're gonna be have a good time with it uh is it a great movie absolutely not uh but it's certainly a fun movie to watch what's going absolutely. on next week oh next week we've got the 25th anniversary of ben stiller's directorial debut the cable guy starring jim yeah. carrey and matthew broderick is it you know uh, uh something that deserves reconsideration i know there's been multiple times during these past 25 years where people have maybe posited that question but we're going to posit it again yeah it's going to be it's a big question that has definitely come up multiple times we're, we're going to solve it absolutely uh, we're going to figure out if the cable guy is worth uncovering uh one more time okay thanks for listening this has been film trace